and uh, to cleanse us of any sin that's in our life. So we're going to look at Psalm 77, verses 11 through 15. I'll read those verses, and then we'll take a few moments of silent prayer, and then I'll lead us corporately before we begin. Psalm 77, verse 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your faithfulness, Lord. We can look back on our lives just as Israel did and remember the wonderful works of old, of days past, how you've been faithful and good to us. Through difficult seasons, you've brought us, Lord, and you've showed yourself true uh, to your word and your promises every time. So, Lord, I know today that there are folks in this room and folks not with us that are going through trials and they wonder when they'll end and when the clouds will lift and the sun will shine again. Lord, and I pray that they would remember that you've been faithful before and you will, in fact, do that again for them. And so, Lord, while they walk maybe even through the valley of the shadow of death, to know that you are with them, that you lead and guide them with your shepherd's rod. And, Father, I just pray for peace and comfort, Lord. But most of all, I pray for faith, that we would be able to look to you and and through those difficult times know that there is a loving Heavenly Father uh, that has not forsaken us and that will get us through. And ultimately, that we do have that victory already in Christ Jesus, Lord. Our prayer today is that you would uh, hear us, and most of all, that you would see us in our lowly estate, Lord, and meet our needs according to your riches and glory. Lord, we love you, and we thank you again for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn one more time to 1 Peter chapter 5. I am going to be wrapping up the series in 1 Peter this morning uh, with a message titled, The Pastor's Duty to His Flock. Uh, but I would also like to tell you that I recognize that this morning uh, I will not finish the entire text of 1 Peter chapter 5. And so you may say, well, why are you stopping uh, at verse 5 when there is still more to go on through this letter? Uh, and the Lord had put on my heart that where to go after this series ended was to begin a, a topical series of messages before getting back into another book of the Bible. And so I'm going to preach... Uh, beginning on August the 8th, I'm going to start a small series called The Struggle is Real because there are a lot of things that Christians struggle with and especially in our culture today are struggling with. And so I'm going to take a look at some of those things specifically. And First Peter 5 mentions some of those in the latter half of chapter 5. And so I will use that text uh, to preach in that series. So I'm not cutting short the book. I'm just not using it in this particular series. So I wanted to tell you that and also give a little plug for where we'll be going uh, next in that series, uh, in our next series. So I wanted you to be aware of that. So with that being said, I'm going to ask you, if you're able, one final time to stand, uh, get you warmed up, get the blood flowing a little bit, and uh, we will look at 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5 together. So Peter says these words, So, uh, some translations may use, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, King James says they're filthy lucre, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Lord God, we pray your blessing upon your word this morning. May you increase and I decrease. And uh, Lord, give your people ears to hear and softened hearts to receive the word today, Lord. We thank you for what you're going to do in our presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, I want to thank Brother Jeff. Again, he led the Sunday school this morning, and I appreciate him doing that. I, I wanted to talk to Brother Rick, and he wasn't here today, to see if he might be willing to do that from time to time as well. I, I'd love to see our deacons, if they're comfortable to do that, to take a role in teaching sometimes, not just because it helps me to have an opportunity to sit and receive a blessing from the teaching of the Word, but I want to see uh, other folks in this church use their gifts and talents, and I know Brother Jeff and Brother Rick do a fantastic job uh, of doing that, and so I'm thankful for them. We're going to take some turns. I'll still teach Sunday school as well, but uh, I was thankful for them. But I say all that to say, you know, we were talking a lot about faithfulness and, and the topic of faith and uh, God opening doors and things of that nature. And, you know, I had already put this down as uh, part of the introduction to this message, but we talked about it in Sunday school. And it's just amazing to me how, how faithful God is to us and how we can look back on our lives and see uh, maybe we were in the midst of a circumstance that seemed to have no apparent answer. Uh, we didn't know what was going on, and yet God breaks through in his appointed time and uh and makes all things come together and i say that to say that the testimony this morning is is this church uh two years ago almost to the day we held our first service at k russo baptist church at uh, east river road baptist church who was letting us use their building at the time but before that we had we had no church we had no building we had no idea what we were doing other than a name and that we felt god had led us to start this thing and he provided all of, all of the needs along the way and continues to do so. So I say that just sitting in this room today as a body of believers under the banner of K. Russo Baptist Church through the blood of Jesus Christ is a testimony to his faithfulness. And so I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful uh, that, that he has been, been so good to us this morning. Um, but I, I also say that to say that uh, we could become satisfied we could say, well, we, we've arrived, we, we've gotten what we need now, and, uh, you know, we can put the, put the car in neutral and coast down the hill until the Lord comes takes us to glory. And I hope that that's not our attitude. I hope that we never feel content or get complacent enough to say we can take our foot off the gas and just kind of coast along now, that, uh, that we've got everything that we need and, and we can be satisfied with that. Uh, I think that there is always going to be needs in the church, and there are certainly multiple needs outside of the church, people that need the gospel, needs that need to be met. And so it's our duty as Christ ambassadors to try to be his hands and feet. And so I pray that we continue to grow and look for opportunities to use our gifts and to reach those that don't yet know Jesus. Um, and that is true as well of your pastor. I can't, I can't project that message to you and become content to say, well, I've, I've studied enough to get my degrees behind my name now. I got the degrees and I got the title of pastor and I've got the church, so I can just put it on in neutral and let the church do the work. As a pastor, I want to strive to continue to grow in Christ and I want to continue to strive to grow to become more like him and to become a better pastor. And so we all have work to do. Uh, we all have needs in our lives. And so... Paul um, said these words to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15. He told him to practice these things, all the things that he had just been mentioning to Timothy. Immerse yourself in them 
so that they may see your progress. You see that word progress? We want to continually be improving. He was encouraging a young pastor to let the flock see that you are still growing, that you're making progress in this Christian race, so to speak. And so what I plan to do this morning with you is, as we go through this text, I want to start by teaching a little bit, but then I want to shift gears and go into more of an application at the end, which is normally how I do things anyway, but uh, I want to try to emphasize that a little bit more this morning. So let's look at our text again, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders. First thing I'd like you to notice in that text is the S at the end of the word elders, plural. Every time in the New Testament that you see the idea of an elder mentioned, it is in a plurality. Uh, and again, I understand that that is not the norm in Baptist churches, particularly that's more of a reformed idea. You'll find it uh, in Presbyterian denominations and things of that nature. But I do wholeheartedly believe that the concept is biblical. Uh, whether or not your church ultimately goes in an elder-led direction or has multiple elders uh, is a matter of polity and a matter of church autonomy. But I do believe that there is a biblical emphasis to have a plurality of elders slash pastors within the church. You will always have a lead senior pastor, whatever title you want to use, but uh, as, as a church grows and as needs arise, other men called into the ministry are invaluable in taking on roles as an elder not necessarily to be the preaching, teaching pastor, but to be discipleship pastor, to, to take on other needs. And so I want you to notice that, and as you read through the scriptures, keep in mind when you see that word speaking of the church that you will always see it in a plurality uh, of elders. That word in the Greek, and I, I'll throw these Greek words at you, but it's not to impress you or uh, to try to help you to remember these things more than anything, what they mean. The word elder is presbuteros. And so what does that kind of sound like in our mind? Presbyterian, right? We get that idea. And basically it's speaking of not so much the age, although the Bible does say that a pastor should not be a novice, uh, want someone that is a little bit farther along in the faith, maturity-wise. And so the elder does carry that idea uh, of it. But it's really speaking also of their spiritual character, that there is someone that has proven themselves, someone that has shown that they are a follower of Christ and they are striving to live a sanctified and holy life. So uh, Peter is encouraging the elders among you. And then he says, as, as a fellow elder myself. So Peter didn't, didn't elevate himself. Uh, he, certainly as an apostle he could. But he said, you know, I'm, I'm a fellow elder with you. And he says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. When you think about, maybe some of you, most of you are familiar with the life of Peter, he had a rough beginning, so to speak, didn't he? He wasn't always uh, what we would see as a, uh, the rock or the pillar of the church. Uh, he had some, some rocky moments, for sure, but we wouldn't see him as a, a foundational person within the early church, although he certainly was. Uh, but there were many times where Peter would put his foot in his mouth. There were many times when he let his emotions get the best of him. And so we can relate to Peter, can we not? I think all of us can relate to those kinds of experiences. And so we understand, and I'm thankful for the fact that, that God calls and uses ordinary messed up men to lead his church. Because if he didn't, well, there wouldn't be any pastors. Because that's all he's got to pick from. And so, you know, we, we don't glory in our shortcomings. We glory in the grace of God towards us in our shortcomings. But no pastor is perfect, and we talked about that as well in this, mor uh, this morning Sunday school. T 
to never put your pastor on a pedestal. I appreciate uh, the, the love and, and the admiration, if you will, that some of you give towards me, and I, I thank you for that. But I never want you to feel like, or I don't want you to put me in a position where I am the object of your worship. If I were to go home to be with the Lord tomorrow, the church will still go on. The church is not built on me. The church is not built on a pastor. The church is built on Jesus. And so we always must remember who is the object of our worship here. And so Peter includes himself, and Peter can certainly relate to both the sufferings uh, of Christ and also the hope that comes from the glory of knowing him. There will be difficulties. Every church goes through seasons of ups and downs. Every church goes through a se- a times of growth and times of, of loss. And so that is true in our own lives. It's true in the life of a church. And so we, we have to rejoice when we are going through those good times. And we have to be faithful and steadfast when difficulties come. And they will come. And so we need to understand that. But, but Peter says through all of that, he's exhorting these elders. Because remember, and, and Vincent did a fantastic job last week of talking about the fact that, and Peter describes this throughout the letter, that these folks were suffering. They were going through trials. They were going through persecution. And in those times, it's important for the pastor, the under-shepherd, if you will, to try to hold things together, right? Because when things go south, it's easy for everybody to panic. And there has to be somebody that's cool-headed and level-headed enough to try to say, wait a minute now, take a breath. We're going to get through this. The Lord's going to get through us. And so that is part of the duty of the pastor is to try to hold things together and remind you of the truth and the promises of Christ, right? On the outside, sure, I'm scared too, right? I mean, I, I'd be lying to you if I, I said I never get fearful or anxious. Of course, those feelings and emotions are true for me just as much as they are for you. But when those thoughts and those feelings come, I have to take a step back and say, the circumstances are tough. My thoughts and my emotions are, are pulling at me. But that doesn't change who Jesus is. And that doesn't alter one word of this book. And we can trust that if he said it, he will see it come to pass. He's promised that. So Peter is starting out by exhorting and encouraging these elders uh, and reminding them of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that will come. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, Shepherd the flock of God. Oftentimes, pastors are called shepherds. Now, Jesus is the great shepherd or the chief shepherd, and so I would call us more as under-shepherds. We are under his authority as shepherds of the local church. But that's a term that we hear used from time to time. And the word shepherd comes from a Latin word that you're probably familiar with, pastor. Okay, and so a lot of you call me Pastor Chris. And so that word carries with it the idea of a shepherd. In the Greek, it's poimen. And so it's not used as often, but the idea is certainly there that I am to be, and every pastor is to be, someone that leads the flock, that feeds the flock, that protects the flock from false teachings. Those are some of the duties as a pastor. A pastor, an elder, and the King James uses the word bishop, um, which is the Greek episkopos. And so you hear all those different words, but they're all speaking of the same position, of the same title. The pastor, the bishop, the elder, they are all the same idea, just different Greek words, if you will, okay? And so don't get confused. Say, well, what's the elder do? What's the pastor do? What's the shepherd do? It's the same person. 
It's just different words describing different things that they carry out within the body. But they're interchangeable terms. So I hope that makes sense. But he says in verse 2 that we are to shepherd the flock of God, the amplified version of the Bible, which is not one that we regularly use, especially not to read, but it's more of a technical uh, translation. But it uses the word tend there. I think that's a, a good way to describe it, tend the flock of God. And so my duty as a pastor is to feed you by preaching and teaching the Word of God. And, and that's the difference, and, and I, I don't want to say this, in a mean-spirited way, but, but I've seen a lot of men that are gifted preachers, but they're not good pastors. And there is a difference. Uh, when I first got saved and got into ministry, I was an evangelist. And I, I often joke about it. Do we have some grandparents here today? What's the difference between being a grandparent and being a parent? You can give the kids back. It's the same way when you're an evangelist. I, can go, I could go into a local church and I could yell at you all for an hour and get you all mad and worked up and I go home. And then the pastor is the one that gets to hear all the complaints about why that preacher, that evangelist was up there telling us how bad we were, right? And so that it, it's, it's not, I, want to, I don't want to use the word easier, but when, when, you, when you are simply preaching the word and then you get to go home and not have all the other responsibilities, it's a big difference. And so as a shepherd, this is part of what I do. Probably the most critical and crucial part is to expound the Word of God to you because that is ultimately where faith comes by, the hearing of the Word of God. And so I never say that this is, this is a light duty that we get to do here. It's an awesome responsibility. But there are other responsibilities of a, of a pastor than just preaching the Word of God and praying for all of you. Uh, we want to be there. I want to be there to guide you to offer counsel when it's needed. I want to guard you against false teachings and against those that would, would offer what sounds like good, sound doctrine but could be dangerous or destructive to your soul. Uh, you know, there, there has been and always is a lot of talk in churches about music and, you know, some of the stuff that uh, is on the radio today. I enjoy Christian music of all different genres and some of the things that I listen to is contemporary Christian music. And there are some fantastic songs played on the radio if you are discerning when you listen to them. Because we would never sit down, hopefully not, and read the Word of God without using discernment. But we'll turn on anything on the radio or the television and soak it right in. And you understand that there is a message to that as well. So that's one of the reasons why you won't hear from this stage, this platform, some of the songs that you'll hear on K-Love. Number one, they're not meant to be congregational songs anyway. They're performance songs that are done more for a show than they are to be a worship song. But number two, as a pastor, I have to be aware of the churches that are behind that music, what their beliefs are. When we put the words up on the screen, we are paying royalties to those churches to be allowed to use their words. And there are certain songs that I enjoy on Caleb, but I don't want to support those ministries. I'm just being honest. And if you need me to call names out, there's a lot of Bethel music, there's a lot of Hillsong, there's a lot of Elevation worship that I'll listen to in my car, but I wouldn't bring into the church to be sung corporately. That's part of my duty. So if you've ever wondered that, don't blame Caleb. Don't blame the praise team. That's a decision that myself and when Pastor Michael was here, he wholeheartedly agreed with. And I, I just, I feel like that is part of our duty 
is to guard you against the false doctrines. And if you're curious about what those are, I'd be glad to talk to you about what some of the beliefs are behind that music. Uh, but be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you take in. And I want to be cautious about what I allow to be brought into this church because ultimately I'm responsible for your souls and my oversight of them. And so I want to do everything I can to keep you safe and to keep you on track. And so Peter tells them to shepherd the flock. And I, I think it's interesting that he says, look what he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So in, in, in that sense, I am just a fellow believer with you. And I've always said this, of all the titles that we can be given, you call me Pastor Chris, but the greatest title that any of us can receive is servant. The greatest title that the Lord can bestow upon us is simply a servant. That was the title that he took upon himself, and certainly if it was good enough for our Lord and, and Savior, it should be good enough for us. And so Peter says, I'm, I'm among you. I'm not above you. I'm not on a platform and a pedestal elevated above you. I am simply among you. But in the very next sentence, in the very next two words, he talks about exercising oversight. So while I am just a fellow servant and believer among you that needs the grace of God just as much as any of you, I have a different responsibility than any of you. And that is to show oversight or to look upon, is what that word means, to examine the church. Now, I'm not going around uh, to each of you and, and making you give me a list of all the things that you did wrong so that I can chastise you, because uh, my list would probably be just as long or as longer than any of yours. And so that's not the way that that works. But it is my duty to have my finger on the pulse, if you will, of the church. And if there are issues, to try to address those as quickly and as lovingly and as biblically as possible. That is the role of the pastor. And so you've got to understand that we live in such a sensitive world, don't we? I mean, we, we, we joke about it with memes and things on Facebook, but it's really quite sad how, how, how offended people get anymore, uh, how, how little that they want or will, will admonish uh, accountability. If you go to someone and love and, and try to lovingly suggest that there's an area in their life that, that maybe is off and you'd like to pray for them, well, who are you? Matthew 7, 1. Haven't you ever read that? Judge not. Don't be talking to me. I know I've heard, I've heard the gossip about you too. And everybody gets all offended. That's not the biblical way to respond. So if you have a church, if you have a pastor that cares enough about you to go to you, not in a, and we'll look at this in a minute, not in a domineering way, but to show concern for your soul, don't be so quick to get puffed up. Don't be so quick to say, well, I'll just find me another church. They'll leave me alone, let me do what I want. That's what usually when you get in the most trouble, when they leave you alone, let you do what you want. What, the times when I've been left alone to do what I want, it usually doesn't end well. So be glad when people care enough about you to, to kind of just not pry in your business, but be in, involved in your life. That's a good thing. That's a part of being in the church. So he says that, uh, that, that the shepherd, uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then look what he says. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God should have you. This shouldn't just turn into a job. I shouldn't feel like on Sunday mornings I, I type in my badge number and I'm at work until 12 o'clock. That's not at all the way that a pastor should shepherd his church. 
This is an awesome calling. It is a humbling responsibility. And it is a blessing beyond measure. There is nothing else in this life that I can imagine doing other than shepherding God's people. It's something that I enjoy. Is it easy at times? No. Please don't take this the wrong way. Can you all be difficult sometimes? Yes. Can I be difficult sometimes? Yes. And so that's part of dealing with human beings. Has anybody ever worked in the public sector? Customer service? Anything? Is it easy? Why is it not easy? Because people are involved, right? And so if people are involved, it's not easy. And that's not a slam because we're all guilty of that. So it's not an easy thing. But my goodness, it's a blessing. Because I get to share in the, in the joyous times of your life. I get to try to be there when you go through the difficult times in your life. We get to try to figure this thing out together as a body of believers. I get to see you grow in Christ. I've, I've, I get a chance to marry some of you. I've, I've had the unfortunate experience of burying your loved ones. I've dedicated babies along the way. And so there's a lot of ups and downs. But it's all a blessing. And the biggest blessing is to see folks come to know Jesus. Because that is the most important thing that we get to do. I can't save any of you, but I can point you to the one that can. And I would be failing in my duty if I didn't tell you every time I get an opportunity about the Jesus who loves you and died for your sins. That is the most important message that I can share. We never should do this under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. As I said earlier, the King James says filthy lucre. That's not language that we hear used much today, but I think you understand the idea. We shouldn't be in this thing to get rich. And unfortunately, there are many pastors that have left a, a blight on the church and left that impression in the world. Well, that guy's just out there to get rich. He's taking advantage of them gullible people. And they're right. They're, they're right. You know, and again, I can stand up here and I'm not going to do that. I, I could stand up here and name names all day long of popular televangelists, popular ministers and ministries that stand up there and preach a false gospel which says that if you sow a seed of faith, if you give uh, this gift, if you lay your gift on the altar, uh, that God will bless you. And, and you know, they take the Old Testament scriptures of the tithe and the different things and turn it into a modern-day prosperity message. Listen, you look at just the 12 disciples. We can, we can name them and go through a study one by one. Which one of them died healthy, wealthy, and famous? None of them. None of them did. That is not the lot. Listen, if you, are, if you are wealthy this morning, if you're well off, praise God. Exactly. Having money is not a sin. Being controlled by money is. There's a difference. There is a difference. And so, you know, if you have your health this morning, praise God. If you're struggling with your health this morning, be thankful that you serve a God that will help you and carry you and lead you through those difficult times. Nobody likes to go through sickness and poverty and all those things, but it may be your lot. It may be your lot for a season. It may be your lot for your life. But again, victory in Jesus, my Savior, some of the time. Forever, right? He doesn't always promise... It is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford penned that song after the ship carrying his wife and children sank and they all drowned. That's the history of that hymn. It is well with my soul. I just lost my whole family. 
it is well with my soul. I was sailing, uh, going to sail to begin a job in America, and I lost that job. It is well with my soul. That's not easy to say until you understand that when Christ is all you have, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. So he says, don't do it for the money. Don't do it out of an obligation that you have, but eagerly. And then he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but be an example to the flock. So I am to exercise oversight. I am to lead you. I'm not to drive you. There's a difference. Sheep need to be led, not driven, right? And the greatest thing that we can do as pastors, what does it say in the second half of that verse? Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It goes back to the thing that I said earlier. The greatest title that we can have is servant. Jesus modeled that over and over in John 13. What did Jesus do? After they ate supper, he took a towel, he got down on his hands and knees, he girded up his loins, and he washed their dirty feet. That is the Son of God. Don't miss that. Don't miss that that is the Son of God washing the sinful feet of the creatures he created. Think about that for a minute. Next time you think that you're too good to do something in the church. We shouldn't feel that way. And, and again, I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I've cleaned toilets in the church. I've cut grass in the church. I've took garbage out because I would not feel right to ask you to do it if I won't do it. I just don't. There's nothing that I should feel is beneath me as a, past, a pastor to set that example. And so the, the idea there, the word in the Greek of example is, is tupos. And so have you ever had somebody smack you on the arm real hard? What happens? It leaves an imprint, doesn't it? That's the idea of that word. I want to try to leave an imprint on your life. I want to try to make a difference in your life as I point you to Jesus who's made a difference in mine. To be an example to you. I don't want you to necessarily say, well, I strive to be like Pastor Chris. No, strive to be like Jesus. But if I can teach you some things along the way, if I can help you along the way, I want to do that. And you've done the same for me. And so it works both ways. But that is the idea uh, of being an example. Uh, Titus 2.7 says, show yourself. So again, Paul is speaking to another young pastor. And he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model, a tupos of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. We talk about it all the time, but a lot of folks will not listen to your words until they examine the way that you live. There is an, an old pastor, and I've, I've used this quote many times over the years, uh, a Puritan writer by the name of Richard Baxter, and he wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor. Uh, and, and in that book, one of the things, many of the things he said have stuck with me all my life, but one of the things in that book that he said that I've never forgotten was this. He said, don't undo with your life what you say with your lips. It matters how we live. It matters how we carry ourselves. I can say all the right things from this pulpit, but if I don't go out and apply them to my life and live them, it means nothing. Now, do we fall short? Absolutely. But when we fall short, are we humble? Are we contrite? Do we repent? Do we confess? We should. That is the model that we are to give. So he goes on, and he says in verse 4, uh, and when the chief shepherd, who is that? Jesus, when the chief shepherd appears. I love that he didn't say if, did he? He didn't say if the chief shepherd appears. He says when. 
We don't know when, but we are hopeful, we are prayerful that it's soon because we long to be in the presence of our Savior. Now listen, that is a bittersweet thought because if the Lord were to come back today, there are people that I love and care about that aren't ready. And that is a burden on my heart. But if it's a burden to you, what are you doing to see that changed? Are you sharing the gospel with them? Are you inviting them to church? Are you bringing them to church? What are you doing to make sure that they hear about this Jesus? And most of all, do they see that Jesus in the way that you carry yourself? Peter was expectant, and we should be too. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I'm going to be honest and open with you this morning. In all the years that I've pastored, there has been times where I've had a good old-fashioned pity party for myself. Because I thought, woe is me, this is so tough, these people are unbearable sometimes, they're always wanting things, they're always demanding, I can't get two seconds of privacy and peace, and just have a good old pity party sometimes, right? Forgetting how blessed I am, that this is God's calling on my life, and he's allowed me an opportunity to do it, and I'm grumbling over the very thing that he's blessed me with. Setting that aside to say that he knows the struggles of, of me and of you too and we're not doing this we're not walking this Christian life because he ever promised it'd be easy we're doing this because he called us out of darkness into light and said follow me take up your cross and follow me and we say can't we leave the cross behind and, and ride along in the comfort of our, of our vehicles and just kind of tag along behind you Jesus no we follow him with our cross, maybe even to our own cross, where ultimately we would lay down our own life, not for the sins of the world, but to lay down our life to serve him. But everything that we do will be rewarded. Everything that we do, over and over, Jesus teaches about that. Now, again, our motivation shouldn't just be to say, well, we're going to do everything so we can get a bigger mansion and I can have some nice stuff. That's a worldly, materialistic mentality. But God will certainly reward us for the things that we do in this life. The Bible talks about Christians standing before the judgment seat of God. The book of Revelation tells us for crowns and rewards that we'll receive. So rewards are a big part of what we do and a big loss if we don't do them. I think a lot of Christians feel like coming to Jesus is mandatory, serving him is, is obligatory. It's not. It's not. If you come to Christ, you can, you can decide to say, well, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. But there is a cost that comes with that. You're losing rewards. You're losing the benefit of the blessing of being able to do those things for the Lord. So don't ever feel like uh, that you, know, you, can just, you can just take it or leave it when it comes to serving Him. He sees what you do. It matters. You may not receive a reward now, but you most certainly will in glory. Don't ever forget that. And keep pressing on and serving Him. And now I want to shift gears. I told you that I wanted to teach a little bit. That is the role and responsibility of the pastor. And now I want to shift gears and try to apply it and yell at you a little bit. I told you I'd yell at you. So here, here we go. Not really, but verse 5. Likewise, or again, therefore, in conclusion, whatever term you want to use there, you who are younger, okay, I'm not going to ask who's younger. I'm not going to ask your age if you decide that you're not younger. Does that mean that what, what Peter's about to say doesn't apply to you? No. 
No, he is specifically uses the term younger to refer to those that are maybe age-wise younger, new believers in the faith, those that need instruction, but that doesn't get the older, more mature folks off the hook for what he's saying. It's a principle that applies, but he's honing in specifically on one group in this teaching. And he says to them, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject or submit to the elders. Now, first of all, let me give you some technical stuff to get out of the way. The word there is hupatasso. It's a military term. If you've been in the military, you know that there are ranks, right? And so there are different ranks, and you obey those that are over you. You don't talk back to the sergeant or the general or wherever you're at if you're a private. It, don't, it doesn't end well, right? So that's the idea. It, it is in what's known as the aorist imperative. That means it's a command that needs to be done now. It's, it's a command. It's not optional. Do it and do it now. And it's in the passive voice, which means you do it as a voluntary subject. So that's all it means. Do it now and do it voluntarily because you're commanded to do so. That is the idea. What, is, what are we commanded to do? What did he say? Submit to the elders that are over you. You see that? Be subject to the elders. Submission is an act of faith. It is. And, and here is one of the things where I, I think that we as Americans struggle with this more than others. Now listen, I, I love my country. I think you know that. I'm as patriotic as the next guy. And I'm thankful every day for those that pay the ultimate price for our freedoms. But I do also believe that for many churches and many Christians in our nation today, we have reached a place where we have elevated nationalism and worship of our country to a place where we have forgotten that this world is not our home. We can love our land. We can fight for our land and die for our land. But always remember that this is not our home. And regardless of who is in the White House, and we want to vote for folks that will be uh, godly examples to be in the White House. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter. Get out there and vote and vote biblical values. But what I'm saying is, regardless, at the end of the day, we worship the one seated at the right hand of God, not the guy on Pennsylvania Avenue. And we've got to remember that. And one of the things that, that scared me a little bit these last few years is I felt like all of our hope was in Pennsylvania Avenue rather than on the throne. We understand. Pennsylvania Avenue matters. It certainly does. And we ought to do everything possible as believers to put the right people in there. We will be accountable the way we vote, most certainly. But our hope is ultimately outside of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven not here. Just remember that. And so when it comes to submitting to anyone, that's tough for us as Americans because we are free. We live in the, the, the land of the free and the home of the brave, and we are not going to listen to anybody except us. Submission is an act of faith. Now, I want to give you a verse of scripture, and I just want you to look at it at face value. Don't come into it with any preconceived ideas. Don't come into it with your interpretation. Just, just re- let me read it and look at it. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Who's he talking about there? Who are, who are the ones keeping watch over your souls? 
the pastors. What did he tell them to do in the first part of that? Obey and submit. Let them, uh, as those who give an account, let them, the body, do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What exactly is Paul, or whoever you believe wrote Hebrews, saying here? Well, he's saying that when you join a church and you understand that the pastor is the under-shepherd, and again, this has been abused by a lot of pastors, because we just read in the verse it's not to be done in a domineering way. I am not the strong-fisted stand over you and say, you must do what I say because this is my church. It's not my church. He just said at the beginning in verse, uh, in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. It's God's church. I have to give an account for how I shepherd you as God's people. You're not my people. You're God's people. I am God's pastor. I am his people. And so understand that. But, again, as we try to lead, we can't lead if nobody follows. We can't offer advice if nobody submits to it. Right? And we live in a world today where so many people, again, it's that offended culture. Pastor said something I don't agree with. I'm going to go find me in our church. Pastor's asking me to do stuff all the time. I'm going to go to the big church down the street with 5,000 people where I can just blend in. Nobody even know I'm there, and I won't have to do a thing. You can do that, but is that honoring to Christ? Is that doing what uh, he wants you to do? Is that helping your church? Of course not. What does the Bible say if, if you have something against your brother you're supposed to do? Does that not apply? Am I not your brother? Am I not a fellow believer? Shouldn't, rather than, rather than not seeing you for three months and then I get a phone call, where you been? Oh, we went, we found another church. Was that biblical? No, of course not. Of course not. And so if there's a problem, let's talk. I'm not, and so I want to, I want to say that to say all this. He says in that verse in Hebrews, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that is be of no advantage to you. If you want to see your pastor excited, it doesn't take much. Show up, serve, and pray for him. Man, he will be over the moon. That's all it takes. But if you want to see your pastor discouraged, don't pray for him. Don't show up. Don't do anything. It's an easy formula. It really is. And he says that will be a no advantage to you. Right? I think you can figure out what he's saying. Let me quote to you from a guy named Stephen Cole, a, a great pastor that's retired now. He said this, and I think this is important for you to understand, because when we say obey and submit, red flags come up, and I'm not telling you that I am the, the overlord. I'm an overseer, not an overlord. Okay? Stephen Cole said, Submission does not mean mute acceptance of decisions. There is a place for expressing disagreement and voicing concerns. Amen? But submission is primarily an attitude of respect and recognition of rank. If the elders go against a clear principle of Scripture, their flock is responsible to appeal to them based upon the Word of God. If an elder is violating Scripture, that should be removed from, he should be removed from office. Since no human authority transcends God's authority, but normally the flock needs to submit to, the, submit to and cooperate with the elders as they seek to follow the Lord's will for His church. That's the formula, guys. That's how it's meant to be done. And I'll close with this. How can we do that? That's not easy. None of us likes to submit to somebody else. None of us, deep down, likes to be told what to do, right? We talk about it as parents all the time. You tell your kids to do something. 
It's usually a battle. They don't want to do it. They don't like to do it. And we're no different. We don't like to be told what to do. How can we do that? Clothe yourselves, all of you. Now he's making it clear. All of you. Clothe yourselves with what? With humility. Clothe yourselves with that. That literally means tie on the servant's apron. That's what that means in the Greek. I think you can get the imagery there. Put on the servant's apron. Tie on yourselves humility. What is humility? What is that? 2 Corinthians 3.5 says this. Not that we are sufficient, we're not adequate, we're not qualified in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. That, I feel like, is a verse that really sums up what humility is. We understand. We have a responsibility. I have an awesome responsibility to shepherd the flock of God. But I can't do that in my own strength, guys. I can't get up here and do any good without the Holy Spirit leading me. I can't, and you can't either. And so Paul is saying in that verse that we uh, are not adequate in ourselves to claim anything, but our sufficiency is from God. That's the one that we look to in our humble estate to say, God, I can't do this. I have not the strength nor the power, the knowledge or the ability to figure this thing out, but you do. Help me. Guide me. That should be our prayer. It's in Christ's sufficiency, not in our inefficiency. And so the great Jonathan Edwards said, the whole gospel and all of God's dealings with us are calculated to bring about in us a lowly attitude towards ourselves that those who lack this attitude are destitute of true religion, whatever profession they may make. That's strong language, but it's right. As God's people, as followers of Christ, again, Christ modeled humility for us. And we ought to be humble enough when we get puffed up and say, well, I don't know who that pastor thinks he is. I don't know why that church telling me what to do. I don't have to listen to them. I'll go down the street and they'll leave me alone. That's pride leading you. That decision you made was done in pride. I can guarantee it was. Right? I'm not saying that the decision ultimately to leave is wrong, but the way that you did it was. The way that you handled it was. And it was because of pride rather than humility. And pride is an enemy that we all have. And pride is such an enemy because we struggle to see it in ourselves. There's a lot of sins that we avoid or that we see because they're just blatant, right? We watch our tongues. We don't want to cuss because everybody can hear that. We don't want to lie because people will catch us. But we, we're prideful people. We covet things. Those are inward sins that we can tuck away, or at least we think we can. And they're hard to see, but pride is an enemy that we all have to battle constantly. It's really easy for us to get our eyes on ourselves and off of Christ. So be on guard against that. I want to close. I'm going to invite the praise team to come. And I want, to sh- I want to give you this story. Some of you may know a guy by the name of George Mueller, uh, a great pastor from the 1800s, started many orphanages and different things like that. It says, when a man asked George Mueller the secret of his service, Mueller responded, there was a day when I died. Utterly died. I died to George Mueller. His opinions, his preferences, his taste, and his will died to the world. Its approval or censure died to the approval or blame even to my brethren and friends, and since then I have studied to show myself approved only to God. I want to ask you a question as we close. Have you died? Have you died? Colossians 3.3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Is that true of you? Or do you still live your life as though you are on the throne, you are in control, God is your co-pilot, you're glad he's there when you need him, but most of the time you've got this thing on your own. 
That is not the way that we live the Christian life. And if you continue that way, there's good evidence to say you've never truly repented of your sin and become a follower of Jesus. You have to live your life as a follower of Christ saying, this life isn't mine. You don't get to choose. And so often we say, okay, God, here's all my plans. I've got this all figured out in a nice little package with a bow on top. There it is. Now bless it. Bless what I want to do, God. Here's what I want to do. Add your blessing to it. That's not how this works. We sing songs like, where he leads me, I will follow. Amen. I surrender all. Yeah. No, we don't. We say, here's what I want, God. Pour it on me. You've got to decide today. Are you going to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him? Or are you going to try to live for yourself and just know that he's there when you need bailed out? Only one way is the biblical way. And if you're not doing it that way, you have a chance today to get it right, to know this Jesus, to follow him. And I promise you, it won't always be easy, but it will lead you to eternal life. It will lead you into the presence of your Savior. And that's all that matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. I thank you again for this church. And now I pray, Lord, that you would help those that need to make decisions, whether it's to come to Christ for salvation, to be baptized in obedience to their profession of faith, to serve in this church, to come and join this church, Lord, whatever that need might be, that you would have your way in their hearts today and that they would follow you in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.